You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. All right. On this Thursday night, the week is just flying by. Time flies when you're having fun. Yankee fans not having much of that these days. The more things change, the more they stay the same. Uh, The Yankees, as it turns out, are still a lousy baseball team. And Aaron Judge, as it turns out, is still a great, great player. And that is what we knew last night. And that's pretty much what we know tonight after the Yankees blew another game, blew another series against another inferior opponent. And all the goodwill, if there was any goodwill, that was summoned in last night's 9-1 to victory with Aaron Judge hitting those three home runs and then following that up with slugging the first pitch he saw this afternoon into the Yankees' bullpen in right center field. Yankees had that game in hand, 3-1 to in the seventh inning. They hand it over to their bullpen, which I'm told, I'm told that the bullpen has some pretty good numbers collectively this year. I've heard on a couple of fronts that the Yankees statistically have the best bullpen or among the best bullpens in Major League Baseball. Well, then how come every time you hand the ball to that bullpen with a chance for them to close out a game, the Yankees lose that game every single time? Now, lately, that hasn't been the situation that often because the Yankees are very rarely in position to take a lead. But the last two times they were, were both crippling defeats. This afternoon, and Tommy Canely continues his second-half downfall. And then you got to go way back, way back to that Sunday afternoon game in Miami nearly two weeks ago when they gave the ball to Clay Holmes with a four-run lead in the bottom of the ninth inning and a chance to win that series against the Marlins. And he blew the lead, and Tommy Canely had a hand in the Marlins walking off that victory as well. So the Yankees added up now one series win in their last 15 series. That is going back to the start of July. Ugly game for them. Ugly performance for them. Base running blunders. The second inning was particularly appalling. As I mentioned, the bullpen struggled. It was a game in which they used an opener. Look, 3-1, to one, getaway day. Nationals aren't going anywhere right now. Young team. You had a chance to step on their throats. And by the way, at 3-1 to one in the seventh inning, that game should have been 4-1, to 5-1. to one. The Yankees had so many opportunities. First couple innings alone, Judge hits the home run to make it one nothing, And then the Yankees put the next two runners on base. So now they got first and second. There's still only one out. They can't score there. The second inning, you get a one-out double. And then Kyle Higashioka is thrown out trying to advance to third on a ground ball to the shortstop. Yet, if you're six years old, you know that if the ball is hit in front of you, you wait. You can go back to second base. So then Oswald Peraza gets on because of a fielder's choice. And what does he do? He gets picked off to end the inning. I mean, you can't make it up. It is a comedy of errors right now. And it's indicative of a team that is not good at baseball. Outside of Aaron Judge, and Judge now is 28 home runs. And we talked about last night how amazing it is that he's fifth in the American League in home runs. The guy's going to have 35 home runs this season. If the Yankees don't shut him down, he might even make a run to 40. Who knows? We know how hot Judge can get. Fortunately, though, there's plenty of other things going on, so we don't have to go wall-to-wall on the Yankees tonight. We'll share some thoughts, but we've got a lot to get to. Uh, The Mets announced that the numbers of Doc Gooden, number 16, Daryl Strawberry, number 18, will be retired in separate ceremonies. 
sometimes during the 2024 season. So they will be the sixth and seventh Mets to receive that honor as Steve Cohen continues to really change what had been the organizational philosophy of the Mets for years where they didn't retire a lot of numbers. Cohen continues to honor the past and recognize the past. Old Timers Day last year was a huge success. Keith Hernandez got his number retired last season, and now it's Doc and Darrell's turn. And the Doc and Darrell thing, you could you could talk for hours about them because at their best, they were as electrifying and intriguing and exciting and, and dynamic as any two young players collectively on the same team, probably in the history of baseball. But then, unfortunately, with Doc and Darrell, you cannot tell their full story without talking about what could have been or what wasn't because of the off-field problems, the drugs and the run-ins with the law and the suspensions for Major League Baseball. But then there's also the redemption stories, both of them finding second acts in their career with the Yankees, winning championships with the Yankees during that time and even after their playing careers, still running into trouble off the field. I mean, it's an incredible story for both of them, uh, what they have been through. But the bottom line is this. From the Mets' perspective, if you take it from the time that Darrell came up in 83, the time that Doc came up in 84, they were the centerpieces. I mean, look, you had Keith, you had Gary Carter, you had Ray Knight, who was that World Series MVP. You had an outstanding four-man starting rotation in 1986. That whole run, when they started to come into their own in 1984, when they challenged the Cardinals for the division title in 1985, and then when they ultimately won the World Series in 86, and then won the division again in 1988, and probably should have won the World Series that year as well. The two centerpieces for that run, that great five-year run that could have been better, but still a terrific five-year run. The two centerpieces were Dwight Gooden and Daryl Strawberry. So they'll be recognized uh, next year. Two, after all these years and after everything they've been through in their lives, two popular figures in this town, two sympathetic figures in this town, and champions, both of them, champions on multiple teams here in New York City. Uh, some interesting NBA news regarding Giannis Antetokounmpo, an interview published earlier today that he gave to the New York Times, Giannis admitted that he is not going to sign the contract extension this offseason. Next month, he's eligible to sign a three-year contract extension with the Milwaukee Bucks. He has said it doesn't make sense for him to sign it at, that, at this time. And interesting development there. Of course, we have spent a lot of time this week talking about the Knicks and how to find a superstar. And up until today, the easiest name to think of in that regard was Joel Embiid. And he's not a great option for a number of reasons. Uh, the wear and tear, the fact that he hasn't come up big in the biggest spots consistently throughout his career. You can go down the list on why Embiid isn't the best option, but he kind of is the best option or really the only option until you hear this story about Giannis. And it really makes you think that if he doesn't like what he sees from Milwaukee and tries to force his way out within the next year, next year and a half, and the Knicks are still sitting on this treasure trove of assets and the Knicks are still an upper echelon team in the Eastern Conference, well, I would think that the Knicks would have to be on any short list of teams that Giannis would want to explore playing for so we'll get into that as well and then this Saturday night just a huge night 
in northern New Jersey. You have the final preseason game. You have the Jets and you have the Giants. You have Aaron Rodgers making his Jets debut. How long we'll see him on the field, I'm not sure. But that's not even the hottest ticket in town because 10 miles away from MetLife Stadium in Harrison, New Jersey, at Red Bull Arena, the great Lionel Messi comes to town. He makes his MLS regular season debut with Inter-Miami as they take on the New York Red Bulls. It's a 7:30 game. Messi has lit the soccer community in this country and, and beyond on fire with his performance since coming over a few weeks ago to join Inter-Miami, a team that wasn't very good before he got there. He leads them to the championship in the League's Cup. Now they're involved in another in-season tournament called the U.S. Open Cup, and they won the semifinals in dramatic fashion the other night to advance to the championship where they will be the home team in the championship of the U.S. Open Cup. But in the middle of all of that, he's coming to New York to take on the New York Red Bulls on Saturday night in front of what will be just an amazing atmosphere at Red Bull Arena. So we're going to take a break. When we come back, one of his opponents on Saturday night, John Tolkien, defender for the New York Red Bulls, will join me to talk about the event on Saturday night and the season that they're having. We'll get into the Jets as well. Rich Samini will join me in about 20 minutes to talk about their final preseason game and what can we expect there. And, of course, your phone calls at 1-800-919-3776. Pat O'Keefe with you on 98.7 ESPN New York. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. Back here on 98.7 ESPN New York. Pat O'Keefe with you on this Thursday night. Now, it really is the hottest sports ticket of the summer in the New York metropolitan area. On Saturday night, Lionel Messi and Inter-Miami take on the New York Red Bulls at at Red Bull Arena in Harrison, New Jersey. It is a 7.30 start. And just tons of excitement and uh, conversation and electricity surrounding Messi's arrival in this country and what he's done on the pitch so far. So it's going to be a really big event on Saturday night. And here to talk about it, John Tolkien, one of the key players for the Red Bulls, uh, defender for the Red Bulls, also a member of the U.S. men's national team and a local kid out of Chatham, New Jersey, doing very well in our area. So, John, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks for taking a couple minutes tonight. How are you doing? Hey, how's it going? Thanks uh, so much for having me on. And, uh, yeah, that was, a, that was a good intro from you. I think you nailed the, everything there. Well, we do our research, and I know you talked to our uh, producer, Harvey Cruz, who is a season ticket holder, he might have mentioned. For I the heard. Rebels. So, yes, yes he, he's, he, he just informed me. He's very excited about your appearance on the show uh, tonight as well. But but let me start here, because obviously this is uh, – it's, it's a unique event that's happening on, on, on Saturday night. And from the outside, and I'm curious what the perspective is from the inside. If you could describe, John, you know, what is the excitement surrounding this game with Messi coming and everything he's done so far? You know, compared to what it is normally like when you prepare for a regular season MLS game. Yeah, for sure. You know, this this past week there's definitely been a buzz in the locker room and you know around the arena and around you know just the local area. Um, and you know, all the guys are fired up. And uh, yeah, like you said, you know, this is not something that's normal for this league. But um, you know, the league's on the come up, and yeah, Messi's here in Miami now. So um, you know, it doesn't feel real. And uh, I think it'll it'll only feel real once I see it with my own eyes in a Miami shirt. But um, yeah, amazing for the league, amazing for the country, and just amazing for the growth of the game. 
You know, it's funny because the league is on the come up and it's it's made a lot of strides in recent years. And if it if it hadn't been making those strides, I don't think Messi comes here at all. But but him being here is really just elevated it to another level. What has been the reaction since he has come over from players like you throughout the league about what he has done for MLS? Yeah, no, first of all, I think uh, Beckham had a big, big play in him coming over here, but that's all right. You know, now he's over here. But, um, yeah, I think the biggest thing, you know, for me and, you know, other young players around the league and just you know, players around the league and kids around the country or anybody watching, I think it's just, you know, the inspiration. And he is, I mean, the goat in, in a lot of people's eyes. And, you know, everybody wants to just lay their eyes on him. Um, so I think you'll see that this weekend. It'll be a, a packed house. And, uh, yeah, I think just the inspiration thing is the biggest thing for everybody. And, you know, everybody wants to see see the best player play. We are speaking with John Tolkien, defender for the New York Red Bulls, as he and his teammates will take on Inter-Miami and Lionel Messi Saturday night at Red Bull Arena, a 7.30 start. You know, John, a lot of times there's hype, but the performance often falls short of the hype. And in this case, that's been quite the opposite. I mean, he has really uh, exceeded, yeah. I think, a lot of people's expectations. And the guy's yeah, 36 years old, right? We, we, we know... <laughs> We know what he's accomplished. We just saw the World Cup and everything he's done leading up to that. But at 36 years old, for him to come over and and do what he's done so far, um, you know, what are the conversations like about that in the locker room among you and your teammates? Yeah, no, he's uh, he has exceeded expectations. You know, you're watching the TV and you're like, there's just no way he can do this again, you know, and he, and he does it time and time and again. And, yeah, I, I don't know what expectations are going to be like. I, I have no idea what it's going to be like. Uh, sharing the field with him but you know I can expect something probably pretty crazy to happen but um yeah just watching him you know you never think he can do it again and he keeps doing it and you know he's just won a world cup and you can see he wants more so he's come here and he wants to win more trophies and you know he's 36 like you said and how much further can he take it um you know who knows but I don't think anybody's really downing him at this point and obviously, John, this Saturday, you will be tasked with trying to prevent him from continuing to do it again. So as you approach this matchup, trying to contain arguably the greatest to ever do it, how do you approach yeah. this? Yeah, I mean, you know, you can watch all the film on him uh, that you want, but, you know, you can look over the past 20 years and the amount of goals he's scored and, you know, ankles he's broken and defenders he's left in his dust. Um, you know, it's kind of hard to... Uh, to prepare for him but um you know i think for me it's more just enjoying the moment um and being present in the moment and yeah you know as a defender i don't want him to score so you know i'm going to try to the, the best of my ability to do that um you know a, a lot of defenders have uh have failed at that but uh hopefully it can be different uh on saturday chatting with john tolkien new york red bulls defender john when you when you watch messi whether scouting him on film or watching him on tv what stands out to you what makes him so great yeah, that's a good question. Um, I don't know. He's just, you look at him and you're like, you just admire it. You know, it, it looks so effortless from him. And, you know, he's always got a smile on his face. And, you know, it's like he's a little kid with the ball at his feet. And, you know, I think any anybody who's played the game, um, you know, can really admire that. And, you know, for me, I'm a lefty as well. So, uh, you know, I feel like we have that lefty connection. But, um, yeah, I think anybody watching him, you know, it's just so effortless. And, you know, he makes everybody look better around him on his team and uh you know he makes guys look foolish who he's playing against so uh you know it's really something to watch you know john your story is a great one in its own right and i'm curious 
what has this journey, and you're still a young man, 21 years old, I believe, what's this journey yeah. been like for you? I mean, you, like I said, you're a local kid, Chatham, New Jersey. You go to Chatham High School. You work your way yeah. up through the academy, uh, starting for the Red Bulls, some reps with the U.S. national team. What's the journey been like to get to this point? Yeah, it's been a it's been a wild ride for me, and uh, you know I have my local field right around the corner for me. And you know if you had asked me when I was seven eight years old playing World Cup on that field if uh, you know I'd get the chance to play against Messi, you know for my hometown club, I think I'd I'd probably laugh at myself. Um, so uh, yeah, that'll that'll definitely be a, a crazy feeling um, this weekend. And yeah, it's just been a wild ride so far. But um, you know I've I've enjoyed every moment of it, and you know I feel all the love from from people in my town and, you know, just people around the area. And, yeah, just a dream come true. And as far as this particular game goes, look, as we said, it's an event. It's something that people are really looking forward to. But, you know, you guys are trying to make a push to get back into the playoffs. You're looking for those three exactly. points. And, you know, you have 10 games left beginning with this one against Inter-Miami, and you're just on the outside looking in. So as a team, what's the, what's the mindset for you as you chase another playoff spot? Yeah, it's been what 13 years in a row we've we've made the playoffs and yeah we're right on the line right now and uh, you know although it is messy coming to uh to our hometown you know we need these three points and it started with the win last week and you know now we want to go on a little run here um, you know like you said 10 games left and we've got a, a bunch of hard games coming up so um, you know points are the only thing, things on our mind and uh, yeah it's messy but you know we we need those points um, to make that a 14th straight year. I know when the game starts, the whistle blows, it's all business. But before the game, during warm-ups, will you <laughs> peek across the pitch and just, you know, kind of pinch yourself? Like, how cool is this? I'm about to go up against this guy who's maybe the best who's ever done it. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, I don't know if you know, we played Barcelona last year, and uh, I think it'll be kind of one of those moments again. Um, I think even rolling up to the stadium, there'll be so many people outside the gates four or five hours before the game. Um, you know, we don't really see that every every game. So, um, yeah, I'll definitely I'll definitely give a little glance, and if he's starting, uh, seeing him in the tunnel will be be pretty cool as well. Um, but you know, if he's not starting, uh, hopefully he gets on uh, during the game. Yeah, it, it'll just be a wild wild feeling, and uh, yeah, super super excited. Listen, if he doesn't get on during the game, I know about twenty five thousand fans who are going to be there that are going to be outraged <laughs> if that doesn't happen. So. I don't think they have enough security to, uh, <laughs> yeah. to hold the people back. <laughs> Let's hope that doesn't come to that. Hey, John, uh, great chatting with you. Best of luck on Saturday and the rest of the season, and enjoy it, man. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Have a good one. You too. John Tolkien plays for the New York Red Bulls, local kid out of northern New Jersey, uh, defender for the Red Bulls, also with the U.S. men's national team. And, you know, I said it before, it really is, as of now, it was, especially with the way the Yankees and the Mets are going, that's the hottest sports ticket of the summer in the New York City area. Lionel Messi into Miami against the New York Red Bulls on Saturday night at Red Bull Arena in Harrison, New Jersey. Like I said, 10 miles away from where that's going on, Aaron Rodgers will be making his debut in a Jets uniform, and he'll be playing second fiddle in some respects on Saturday night. Not for everybody, but for a large portion of the sporting community. That being said, we're still going to have that game on 98.7 ESPN New York, and we're going to talk about it next with Rich Samini, our Jets reporter for ESPN here on ESPN New York tonight. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN.
All right, back here on 98.7, Pat O'Keefe with you. So we go from football to football at MetLife Stadium Saturday night. The Jets' debut of Aaron Rodgers' final preseason game, Jets against the Giants. Our coverage begins at 4 p.m. here on 98.7 ESPN New York. Rich Samini, of course, ESPN's Jets reporter, joining me now late on a Thursday night to uh, preview the action. Rich, I appreciate you hopping on with us this evening. How are you doing? Pat, thanks for having me tonight. Great to chat with you, Rich, and, and let's obviously start with Rodgers. And uh, curious if there's any any clearer picture of what his night might look like on Saturday, just in terms of a workload. Yeah, I think uh, they want to use him for multiple series in this game. I think the thinking behind that is they want to have him do a series, go to the sideline, have the opportunity to make some adjustments on the sideline go back in and try to execute some of those adjustments. Robert Sala calls it transitions. So he said he'd like to have a few transitions in the game. Now, I mean, if he goes down and has a 10-play drive on the first series and they score a touchdown, you know, maybe they call it a night then. But right now the plan is for multiple series for Aaron Rodgers and the starters. Were you surprised uh, that he was that he wanted to play before the regular season began? Uh, no, because he, Roger, both Rodgers and Salah indicated it earlier in training camp. They wouldn't mind. Rodgers said he wouldn't mind playing in the preseason. And actually, Salah said uh, that he was open to the possibility of playing in the Giants game. So, no, not really surprised. Um, you know, I'd be surprised if he played a few series, which is supposedly the plan. You know, I, I personally probably just go one series and done. But the, the, it sounds like they're planning to play him a little bit. And you mentioned he's going to be, I would imagine, surrounded by as many ones as possible. So uh, injuries will dictate some of that. But as of now, who, who do you think we see playing alongside him just in terms of uh, you know, offensive line and, and skill position players? Well, you're not going to see Brees Hall or Dalvin Cook, obviously, in this game. Uh, Dwayne Brown, their left tackle, won't play in this game, although he is I don't want to say he's back to practice. He did some individual drills today, but he's obviously off the pup list, and he'll be ready to practice next week and uh, be ready for week one, supposedly. Uh, let's see, who else have we got out there? Uh, Alan Lazard has a shoulder injury, so he's a little iffy for tomorrow night, but they say he'll be ready to go for week one. And, uh, you know, that I think that'll be it. I you know, uh, Makai Becton is supposed to start at right tackle. He did not practice today. They said it was a rest day. Um, he did participate in their walkthrough. So, you know, he's got that knee situation, which, you know, can flare up from time to time. So I would just keep an eye on that one. And uh, But, yeah, I mean, four-fifths of their offensive line should be intact, and uh, and they're ready to go. So four-fifths of their offensive line. So as of now, that constitutes Becton at right tackle, correct? Well, I mean, I think it's his job to lose. I mean, he's starting in the last preseason game. That's a really good sign. They were really happy with the way he played last week. 25 snaps, didn't allow any pressures, uh, did a good job in the running game. Uh, and so he got bumped up to uh, starting this week. So I would say if he has a good game tomorrow night, if he plays, assuming he plays, uh, I would say he's probably got the inside track on this job for week one. 
And we're talking with Rich Sabini, ESPN's Jets reporter. Outside of Rodgers, Rich, the most talked about aspect of the team has been that offensive line. And you mentioned Dwayne Brown now available to practice, and hopefully he ramps up leading up to the opener on the 11th. But overall, where is that group collectively right now just in terms of performance? Well, obviously the the starting five has not been together for a single snap the entire summer, so that's not the ideal situation. Uh, there have been some moving parts, even guys like, uh, you know, Lakin Tomlinson, Elijah Vera Tucker missed, you know, about a week each, you know, missing some time. And then was the center rotation, you know, for a couple of days there, it looked like uh, Tipman would, would get a shot with the McGovern. So, that, you know, they disrupted some continuity there. So it's been a lot of moving parts. Uh, I think this can be an okay offensive line if they are all there. And, but, you know, that's a big, you know, that's a question. You're talking about a 38-year-old left tackle who's coming off a, a rotator cuff surgery. And you're talking about a right tackle right now, Makai Becton, who hasn't played a complete game since 2020. So very, you know, they're kind of, you know, keeping their fingers crossed at both tackles positions on the offensive line. And Rich, the other big news this week was Corey Davis stepping away from football. That's the term he used. The Jets have placed him on the reserve retired list. How surprising right. was that development, and how does that affect the offense? Yeah, it was surprising. I mean, he was gone, I think, uh, almost basically three weeks. Uh, I think it was about two, two and a half weeks on personal leave. And so you're obviously wondering what's going on there. Um and yeah, I mean, it was surprising. You know, the timing is just weird. You know, it's like uh, right towards the end of training camp, this comes out. Obviously, from a Jet perspective, it's not the best timing because it leaves them. You know, we know who their four receivers are, but you know, they still got to fill two more spots at wide receiver. Who's it going to be now? I mean, Malik Taylor. Uh, you know, some of the young kids have shown things like Xavier Gibson and Jason Brownlee. Uh, I, I think. I wouldn't be surprised at all if Joe Douglas goes out and gets a veteran. And I'm not saying Devontae Adams or, or someone of that ilk. I'm talking about a guy who gets cut, maybe pick up a, a guy on waivers next week when the final cuts come down. Uh, just someone who can give you that fifth spot a little bit, you know, give you some stability at that fifth spot. But, yeah, it was surprising. I think Corey Davis was thinking about this for a long time. And, uh, you know, I – found out yesterday that he had shared even with some teammates going back several weeks ago that he was thinking of this. So um, wish him well. He's 28 years old. He made over $50 million in the NFL. Hope he saved it and uh, hope he has a great life outside of football. Oh, Rich, you look at what the storylines have been, and obviously Rodgers has taken up so much of the attention, the offensive line, which we spoke about, the, the running backs with the addition of Dalvin Cook and Brees Hall's return, and Garrett Wilson a little bit. So, you know, outside of what the main headliners have been, um, is there anyone kind of flying beneath the radar that you've noticed that's had a really good camp that you could see good things from this year? Uh, yeah, actually, I think a guy that watches Jermaine Johnson, and he's played a lot in the preseason. Um, we know his background, first-round pick. Didn't play a whole lot last year. He was kind of – he was like the seventh or eighth guy in that defensive line rotation. And you know, we know how deep that line goes. They're, they're about 10 deep on that line. But he's at a really good camp. Uh, we spoke to him today. He is ultra-confident. He changed his body. You could just see he's, he's 
added some muscle. He's uh, looks really quick, and he played a lot because Carl Lawson, and I think this is an underplayed storyline, Carl Lawson's been out for three weeks with a back situation that I think is probably more serious than the team is letting on. And even today, Robert Sala admitted that he wasn't sure if Lawson would be ready for week one. So I think you're going to see a lot of Jermaine Johnson, and and that's not a bad thing because I think he's ready to take a big step this year. Speaking of being ready for week one, is the hope within the team that both Hall and Cook will be ready for week one? Well, certainly with Cook. Now, he is uh, was making his way back to New Jersey. Uh, I'm sure everybody knows he's a first-time dad. I think the baby came a, a few days later than they anticipated. So he has not practiced at all. Um, and I, I don't think he was going to practice anyway this week because he was coming off that shoulder surgery from February, and they said from the beginning that it would take a few days uh, to ramp him up. So their next practice is going to be Tuesday. I would expect him to be on the practice field Tuesday, and he will be ready to go week one. Uh, you know, he's probably not going to be in peak form, but I expect him out there in week one. Uh, the, the indications with Brees Hall are – positive uh he's been practicing for the last few days he gets a handful of reps every day and uh they say they think he's good to go for week one i'm not going to say it's a 100 percent done deal uh, it's an interesting situation he's only he's 10 months removed from acl surgery he will go into week one not having played a preseason game or really taken any sort of hit on that knee I think it's a lot to ask of a player to go right into the regular season and expect him to play at that speed coming off that injury. But it seems like he's going to play that according to what the Jets are saying. Now, along those lines, if he's not 100%, not a full goal by week one, there does seem to be a good amount of depth in that running back room. So if Hall you know, needs to give some of his carries up to someone other than Cook, who would be next in line? Would it be Michael Carter? Yeah, I think what you're going to see back there is, uh, I mean, obviously Brees Hall's not going to get 20 carries a game coming out of the gate here. Uh, I think Cook would probably be the primary ball carrier, and then I think you'll see a mix of Carter and uh, and Brees Hall, uh, you know, filling in. You know, I think Nathaniel Hackett has proven in his past that he's okay with using three running backs in a committee. So I think that's what you'll see. Izzy Abanaconda is still coming off that cat, uh, thigh injury, rather, and not sure if he'll be ready for week one. And Bam Knight is an interesting guy. I think I think he's the one big name on the bubble. As I don't know if he's a big name, but he did play last year for the Jets. But um, maybe he's the odd man out in the running back situation. I think that will be dictated by injuries and, uh, and other roster positions as well as they cut down to 53. Rich, having had the opportunity to watch Aaron Rodgers work every day since he's been here, has there been anything about him that has surprised you compared to what you knew about him before? Yeah, I, I mean, it's not it's not the football playing ability because we, you know, anybody who's watched football knows he's a good quarterback. So we saw that this this summer, uh, some of the throws he made. But I think the thing that I was most intrigued by was just interactions with teammates. Um, the way he has taken ownership of this offense, um, it is his offense. I mean, Nathaniel Hackett is the play caller, but, it, you know, you talk to anyone there, it, it is Aaron Rodgers' offense. And uh, just the way he's 
bounces around from meeting to meeting, you know, with different position groups. He's not only concerned with the quarterbacks and the receivers, you know, he talks to the offensive linemen and, you know, he's at the cafeteria every day. He sits with a different group of guys every day to try to move around and connect with different parts of the team. Uh, One day it might be rookies. Another day it might be special teams guys. So that part has uh, surprised me and intrigued me just the way he's, He's bought into all the whole thing, really. Well, it's been an interesting preseason so far. It'll be more interesting on Saturday night when we see him out there for the first time. Rich, we know you'll be there, and I appreciate you getting us all caught up this evening. My pleasure, Pat. Have a good night. You too. We'll talk to you soon. Rich Samini does a great job covering the Jets for us here at ESPN. So there you go. Rogers out there Saturday night, a series, two series perhaps. Wouldn't it be something if he goes out there? Nine play, ten play drive right downfield. That place would be going nuts. Look, I know it's a Giants home game, but you could bet that if there are Jets fans who want to see him for the first time, there's a number of ways to get your hands on tickets for this preseason game because the Giants are expected to treat this. We had Jordan Renan on last night. Giants are expected to treat this like a normal final preseason game, which is you don't play your starters. It's all backups. You know, there's not an expectation to see. Daniel Jones tomorrow or Kayvon Thibodeau or the Giants top defensive line now maybe that'll change maybe that's they're, they're they're taking a different approach but from what I'm understanding that's not how the Giants are playing this so this isn't a big game at all for the Giants for the Giants this is preseason game number three for the Jets and their fans this is the debut of the quarterback they've been waiting for for what 30 years and they've been wanting to see in this situation, even though it's a preseason game, they've been wanting to see him in this situation since he officially became their quarterback in April. So it'll be fun. It'll be a big night in northern New Jersey between the Red Bulls game with Messi and the Jets-Giants game with Aaron Rodgers. It'll be a big night uh, in northern NJ. All right, we'll get to your calls when we come back. 1-800-919-3776. Lots to talk about. The Yankees' latest meltdown, that interesting NBA news that caught my attention regarding Giannis Antetokounmpo, and plenty more here on 98.7 ESPN New York. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. All right, a lot of good stuff this first hour. This is a fun conversation about the messy Red Bull soccer game that we had with John Tolkien, who plays for the Red Bulls. Rich Samini, of course, all over everything regarding the Jets. Now it's time to uh, hear from you if you want to weigh in. 1-800-919-3776. I bounced around at the beginning of the hour, uh, and I mentioned briefly the Yankees' loss to the Washington Nationals earlier today uh, in an afternoon game at Yankee Stadium. This was... You know, it's not going to go down as one of the worst losses of the season for the Yankees, but it was it was indicative about what this Yankees team has become. And I didn't have a lot of time to talk about it, but I'll circle back now. I kind of glossed over what happened in the bottom of the second inning. The Yankees, they come out, they have this, you know, finally snapped their nine-game losing streak last night. Judge has an historic game. I mean, when a player as great as Judge does something that he had never done before in his career – that's historic, and, and he had a three-home run game last night. The stadium was electric. He finally got a good pitching performance from Luis Severino. If there's ever a time to seize that momentum against an inferior opponent and try to build any any semblance of momentum, it was this afternoon. And then Judge goes out and hits a home run. The first pitch he saw, his fourth home run in the span of five at-bats. The man is a great baseball player. Yankees get two runners on after the Judge home run. 
they're not able to push either of them across. Second inning with one out, a double for Kyle Higashioka. He's on second base with one out, and there's a ground ball to the shortstop. Higashioka takes off for third base. Now, when you are playing Little League Baseball and you're the age of eight, it usually starts around the age of eight. One of the first things they teach you when you're running the bases is this. If it is not a force play and the ball is hit in front of you, you do not have to run. And I'm going to hammer Higashioka here for a little bit because he's the one who did this today. But the freaking Yankees have been doing this on the base paths for years. It's almost as if the organizational philosophy is you go on contact no matter the situation. And far more often than not, that runner gets thrown out on the base. These are major league fielders that you're playing against. In Little League, and I'm going to continue to make the comparison between the Yankees and Little Leaguers because this is a Little League, a Bush League play today by Higashioka. In Little League, you actually have more of a reason to take that chance and run to third because the fielders are also 9, 10, 11-year-old kids, whatever. So they're not always going to field it cleanly. In Major League Baseball, I think we can make the assumption, we should be able to make the assumption, that a Major League shortstop is going to be able to cleanly field a ball and then turn and flip it 20 feet to his right to somebody covering third base. And that guy will be able to catch the ball and apply a tag to a runner that had no business trying to take that base, especially a slow runner like Higashioka. This isn't Brett Gardner in his prime taking off from second base. He completely ran the Yankees out of an inning. Because if you stay on second base and they make the routine play to first, then you still have a runner on second and two out. And the top of the order coming up. Instead, now you have a runner on first and two out. And then adding insult to injury, Oswald Peraza gets picked off of first base. It's a disgrace that brand of baseball is a disgrace. It is the mark of a team that is undisciplined, that has mailed it in at this point in the season. It's a mark of a team that's not focused and a team that does not know how to play. And I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. I don't know why I'm saying I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. Those things do fall on the manager. Look, we've had an up-and-down roller coaster experience with Aaron Boone. Most Yankee fans have never been on board with Aaron Boone. I've never been on board with Aaron Boone. I thought it was silly that they got rid of a guy who got them within one game of the World Series, had a long managerial history, had that job for 10 years, and they handed it to a guy with absolutely no experience. I thought it was silly. And, and Aaron Boone has had success, and we talked about this last night. Aaron Boone has had success record-wise. He's won a high percentage of his games. He's won a lot of games. But he was handed a team that had just gone to Game 7 of the American League Championship Series and a team that was on the rise with young stars at the time, like Judge and Gary Sanchez and Luis Severino, and that continued to add to that roster with guys like Stanton and guys like Garrett Cole. Now, some of those trades and some of those acquisitions, as we know, have not turned out well. But the Yankees have always, since Aaron Boone has taken over, been in a position to win. And lately... And rightfully so, 
it has been diagnosed that the biggest problem here is the structure of the team. The biggest problem here is the guy who put the team together. It's Brian Cashman. And now I think the narrative regarding Aaron Boone has swung a little bit in the opposite direction as if he's just an innocent bystander in all of this. He's not. We can't absolve Boone just because the roster is poorly constructed. He's getting a pass because Cashman put together a crummy team. You know, there's this whole new thing about professional athletes. And it's true for the most part. They say you can't coach professional athletes tough anymore. You know, those old grizzled managers like Billy Martin and Earl Weaver and Tommy Lasorda, Lou Pinella, guys who were fiery, Jim Leland, after a game, their team wasn't playing well, they'd come in, they'd turn over the table with the spread just to prove their point. You can't do that in Major League Baseball anymore, and I get that. These guys make too much money, they're brands, but those are the guys at the top of the sport. Are you telling me you can't get on Kyle Higashioka for making that boneheaded base running mistake? Are you telling me you can't get on Oswald Peraza? I don't even think Peraza has 100 at-bats in Major League Baseball. Boone can't ride him for getting picked off for the second time this year in that spot? Are you serious? Like, I understand you're not going to light up Aaron Judge or John Carlos Stanton or a guy like that, a guy who's been established, a guy who's an MVP, who's been a star in the game. But you can't coach Higashioka? You can't yell at him? And yelling's not the... You can't coach him? Really? Is that what it's come to? You can. Why isn't Boone doing it? The question I have, and now we're back to Boone. Last night we were on Cashman, and we continue to be on Cashman, but now we're back to Boone. What has Aaron Boone done to make this organization better? Now, you can call me and say he hasn't done anything to make it worse. And you might be right. But what has he done to make this Yankees organization better? What imprint has Aaron Boone made on this team? Like, what is the hallmark of an Aaron Boone managed team? Smart fundamentals? No. Versatility? I don't think so. What is it? Not all managers make a positive difference. Not all do. Not all managers are good. There's bad managers, there's good managers, and there's middle-of-the-road managers. Not all managers make a positive difference, but some of them do. Bruce Bochy does. Has his entire career in San Diego, in San Francisco, where he won three World Series, and now he's doing it in Texas. Terry Francona does with the Cleveland Guardians, and obviously before that with the Boston Red Sox. Even Buck Showalter did last year with the Mets. Buck Showalter absolutely had as much to do with the Mets' turnaround last year as anyone. Why can't the Yankees get a guy like that? With the, these are the Yankees. This isn't the Miami Marlins. This isn't the Oakland A's. This isn't the Kansas City Royals. This is the Yankees. They're supposed to have the best of everything. The highest payroll, the most resources. Why can't the Yankees get a guy like that? A manager who can make a positive difference. So I ask you this one more time, somewhat rhetorically. What has Aaron Boone done to make this Yankees organization better? I would love to hear it on 98.7 ESPN New York. And I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. I don't know why I'm saying I'm sorry. 